Welcome to everyone. Um, thank you for joining us at this uh, inaugural session of our series. This is the first of the four-part series where we are engaging with our tourism sector. We are starting today with our attractions. Attractions plays a very important role in creating demand um, for the destination. We have a plethora of attractions in Gauteng province ranging from what we call our signature attractions, which are our tracked brands um, that enables us to bring uh, people into the destination and we then disperse them thematically to our various attractions. And we are fortunate that these signature attractions are found in all the five regions of our province. So we are quite excited that um, today we have a representation uh, from the West Rand. We have a representation from Citibank and the city of Johannesburg. In our next coming session, we will also be having representation from the city of Ekuruleni. Uh, in relation to our attraction. So welcome. We are uh, dealing with few house rules. Um, as we all know, we are now veterans in these webinars sessions. Uh, so the mics will be off. We will also be having a poll running down uh, in the chat. So please feel free to participate in the poll that we will be putting up. But we will also encourage everyone joining us today from all corners of the globe to equally use our hashtag, which is hashtag GPEngage and hashtag visitHouting to enable us to track the contributions. I will also be taking uh, live questions from uh, participants um, some of the questions and commentary will come from our social media channels. So this will indeed be an engaging session um, where we hope to start our journey to recovery. Without any waste of time, I will want to take this opportunity to also introduce our leading panelists um, uh, combined. They make almost a century worth of experience uh, in the sector, in management and leadership capabilities. So we have brought in to this webinar a wealth of experience, insights. Um, we are joined from um, Emerald Resorts and Casino by Mark Hens. Um, there is a button there on the, on the facilities there. So, um, Without switching on our mics and clapping for them, I'll start and clap for mic hands. We are also joined um, uh, from our new kid on the block, uh, uh, Gift Kumalo from uh, Happy Islands, uh, which is found in the West Rand, um, closer to the catchment of the cradle of humankind. He will share more about this majestic facility. Probably in Africa, the facility with the biggest water slides uh, park. So 
um, when we say it starts here, it's not just a tagline. <laughs> facilities like um, uh, Happy Island will share more. So, gift we uh, uh, welcome you and appreciate your participation. <coughs> We're also joined by Nicholas Wolp, um, the legendary uh, uh, Nicholas Wolp from um, Lily's Leaf. Uh, um, our majestic location right at the hub of Rivonia. Um, there's quite an interesting um, um, approach to uh, visual um, uh, tourism. So he will share with us today how um, as this jewel uh, of our attraction is starting to explore uh, uh, virtual tourism. We know they have been a leading museum in terms of audiovisuals and ability to narrate one of our most fascinating story and acts that has ever happened that propelled us to this democracy. So a warm welcome to uh, Nicholas uh, uh, Wall from Lilysleaf. We're also joined by Ms. Don Robertson, um, the Chief Experience Officer in, and is still the CEO uh, of Constitution uh, Hill. Um, uh, Don is the former CEO of Houghton Tourism, but also in her other life, uh, assists the South African Tourism Board. So we have brought in a wealth of uh, knowledge and experience. Um, uh, I don't see Don here, but welcome, Don. Um, we're looking forward to you sharing um, um, with us the, this afternoon. And uh, the last of our panelist member is um, our acting CEO, Ms. Fe Mr. Fezileng Ngobe. Um, there is nothing um, uh, wrong uh, apart from ill health from our CEO. So we have an acting CEO. Fezile has been a member of the executive um, management team at Houghton Tourism, uh, leading our research and insights. Uh, Provide, providing strategic oversight. So he's quite conversant with the issues around uh, industry concerns, um, uh, industry concerns. So he will be taking us through some of the initial thinking and some of the insights from South African tourism and the, the broader uh, DMOs on how we envisage the opening of the sector to unfold. So those are our team members um, um, uh, who will engage with us. We will also have an opportunity to allow uh, you participants to share in, uh, like I've said, there is a, a, a chat where you can post in your commentary, um, uh, your comments. We also welcome um, um, everybody from all corners of the world. We are meeting under conditions of COVID-19. So these platforms enable us to meet with the globe. So without um, um, uh, any waste of time, let's continue. Um, um, uh, maybe just to make sure that uh, everybody is audible, ex 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 especially our panelists members. Uh, can we just have uh, greetings from you, Mark? Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Um, greetings from a, 
a very, very, very cold Val area this morning. Perfect. We hope we will use this session to warm you up um, um, uh, with um, thought-provoking input. Uh, Gift, can we uh, get a greetings from you? Gauteng, good morning. I hope everyone can hear me. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you very much, Gift. Um, uh, Nicholas? Good morning, everyone, and thank you very much for the invitation to participate in this webinar. Uh, Don? Uh, Fezile? Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Baba. Good uh, afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much for our panelists to make time to share their insights with the industry. Thanks, Baba, for this session. Um, um, uh, can I ask our technical team to also ensure that we link up with, uh, with uh, Don and then we will. Um, uh, get Don to um, uh, greet and, and join the conversation as we, we proceed. Maybe to kickstart the, the, the session, Fezile, um, um, surely for almost three months now, um, you guys have not been able to meet physically, uh, engage with the tourism stakeholders and do the normal business because of this invisible LME. How have you been coping with um, uh, this uh, whole um, disease ravaging and enabling us to do tourism, as we always say? You are spot on. It has been quite a, a challenge uh, in relation to our sector. And we are meeting today, you know, uh, South Africa being number 21, uh, out of 213 countries in terms of the rise of infection, close to 80,000. And, and I think everyone is aware that there is still a rise and we've been informed by the learned experts that the rise will continue between now and, and August, which obviously pose a significant challenge to the sector. But I think also to reflect, Baba, to say for the past three months, would have seen a 60 to 80% fall, uh, you know, of the numbers of, of, of tourism as the United, you know, uh, World Tourism reports and, and tell us in terms of those numbers. And obviously the numbers affect uh, the jobs, security of people who are employed within the sector. And I think the lack of, you know, social engagement with the industry has been quite, you know, difficult because of the lockdown, social distancing, and all these things. But I think uh, I must also indicate that uh, our sister agents at national level, South African Tourism, has been, uh, you know, also creating some that uh, all 
industry players are on board in terms of what government is doing uh, in putting some of Uh, you know, we continue to contribute to to tourism, but I think uh, this kind of session about the the virus has actually taught us a quite interesting lesson that we need to start to adapt to the new world. Uh, that you know, technology is quite useful uh, in making sure that we start to engage and continue to engage with the industry. And I believe that is not only to us, you know, as a Houghton Tourism Authority, but also, uh, you know, some of the players have, you know, have also experienced this particular challenge in making sure that uh, we continue to engage and talk about the industry. But I think, lastly to say, Baba, that the past three months, as we have indicated in terms of activities, because what is important with tourism it brings people together. And the challenge with the virus is that uh, it gets you know, transmitted highly with the interaction of human beings. Now, it's quite clearly that it might take some time for the industry to... Uh, people who are creating a conducive environment for the industry to operate. But I think we're confident that in the next two to three months, uh, we are shaping up as we continue to engage with the industry players and all those who are interested in making sure that the industry recover to bring together and adapt to some of the methods that will apply and make sure that our people continue to enjoy, you know, what is referred to tourism. Thank you very much, Pabs. Uh, thank you, Fez. Just to um, um, in check with you. So, um, uh, the president made an announcement yesterday, last night, um, with regard to restaurants, um, having made an announcement the other weeks with regard to other sectors of the visitor economy and the broader economy. Um, are you confident that soon the sector will be able to get back to growth and hopefully achieve its uh, famous double digits growth? Are we? Are you sure we will be ready to rock and roll? Perhaps uh, I think uh, I can say we need to take a baby step uh, because the challenge with the virus is that we also need to balance the health, you know, uh, consideration in terms of creation of jobs. But I think. Uh, I'm confident that the, our government is doing quite well, uh, you know, with the opening of the restaurants. And I think the president also highlighted yesterday that there will be clear announcements to be made by relevant ministers in terms of, you know, what is going to happen. But for me, that kind of starting to slowly open the industry. There seems to be some, there seems to be some backdrop on the Zoom, Zoom background that we need to remove. No, thank you. Um, uh, once again, uh, we'll urge uh, colleagues to, um, and participants to switch off their mics um, um, and only uh, switch on the mics if requested to do so. Um, um, uh, maybe let's bring in Mark. 
into the the conversation and hopefully we will warm you up um mark um, we still can't visit the majestic facility uh, in the south of, of of the province but i guess you guys have been ready working hard to make sure that the facility is safe and sound and is ready if allowed to operate to welcome the visitors can you just give us an indication what uh, uh, the team and you have been up to um, on your side? Yes, certainly, Baba. I mean, it, it was great news from um, the president's office last night that uh, under the new enhanced um, facilities, casinos will be able to reopen again, as well as hotels. So there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and I think as a I think it's important we, I compliment our president. I think the way the president has managed this pandemic has been albeit crippling for a lot of our economy. Um, it has been managed in a fantastic manner. For us, um, we're on day 83 of no team members being on the 890 acre resort. And so we've had a, a skeleton crew of five people feeding all the animals at the zoo and the safari park, making sure their health and well-being is maintained and making sure the, the properties remain secure during the time. But today's been the first day where we've actually been talking about reopening dates and subject to regulations coming out later today or tomorrow, we're sincerely hoping we'll be able to open our doors again on the 1st of July and start welcoming customers back. You know, it's, I think for everyone on this call, it's been, a, it's been a complete surreal journey that we have no management experience to pull from to guide us through. But we need to stay loyal to why we join the industry. And that is, you know, the light of hospitality will shine again. We will be back there. Um, I think we'd be naive to not think we won't feel the impact of COVID into 2021. I think social distancing will experience for quite a while. I think 2022, we might see the, the return of business and maybe that double digit growth you were, you, you were leaning towards in, in your last, conversation but it's uh it's exciting times I, I just hope the fact that our customers have remained safe our team members have remained safe and and they're welcome to be welcomed back on the premises again when we finally get the go-ahead but uh you know as a country we've done ourselves proud you you look at um you know one of your colleagues was saying where we where we rank on that register of countries with covid cases and and south africa has done itself proud albeit at the the detriment and the sacrifice of some businesses on the way but uh we didn't start in a good place and we're certainly still in a the same place now so exciting times ahead exciting times um uh, ahead um but i guess we are all also cautious um as we are dealing with an invisible enemy with moving targets so everything changes by hour but it's comforting to hear uh, facilities, uh, leading players, being optimistic. In, um, like it says, in any crisis, there are opportunities. And it's how you rewire yourself to leverage um, uh, the opportunities presented by the crisis. Um, we welcome you, Dawn. Um, we, um, Thank you. Sorry uh, about the confusion. The chair was there already. Okay, so you are allowed to say hi to everybody. 
Hi, hi, I'm Dawn. I'm from Constitution Hill and very happy to be part of this webinar. Okay, maybe taking it forward, um, before you share um, um, uh, with us some of the imagery and, and the content that is there, um, um, how have you been reorganizing yourselves, uh, gearing towards uh, opening, but also making sure that you present yourself as a responsible and caring uh, attraction, mindful of the protocols and all of these at Constitution Hill, not Constitutional Hill. <laughs> Thank you for that, Baba. Yes, we are Constitution Hill. I think one of the key things we had to do was to actually understand where we were. Uh, and one the first things we did, you know, we were one of the first um, organizations to actually shut down because we were going to host the Human Rights Festival in a few days. So I think the morning we made the, or the night we made the decision, the next day everybody else started postponing or cancelling. Um, so one of the first things we did was to get together as a unit. So we actually spent a week in the office social distancing, sitting in our respective offices and having webinars online to make sure that everybody knew how to use online webinars. Not that it showed now when I was trying to get on. Um, and then we developed our key plan of what we were going to do. So the first thing was, you know, what are we going to do to respond immediately? And once we had that under control, what were we going to do to regroup and ultimately rebound and get to the new normal, which is, I think, what a lot of people have been doing. Um, so one of the first things we did was to realize that nothing was ever going to be the same again. And we needed to kind of start on a blank page. And the decision we made during that first level five of lockdown was to rather work on our business than in our business, okay? So we were all out of the business, we were all sitting at home, we couldn't work in the business, but how could we actually work on the business? What could we do? So one of the first things that we actually did was to review all our strategies. Uh, and luckily for Constitution Hill, we made a decision about three years ago to take a digital growth approach. So we've got a lot of digital technology in place already, which we were able to leverage on. Uh, so from our website to our apps, to our online ticketing services, all these things that gave us intelligence and data. We also then reviewed our revenue management, our sales and marketing strategy, and most importantly, our audience engagement plan, understanding who our audiences were. And this gave us the time to do stuff that we've never been able to do before to go back and to look at the data, trawl TripAdvisor reviews for the last three years, trawl our centricity reports, what were people saying about us, where were people coming from, get that depth of intelligence and data that you're never able to do when you're up and running because you're so always on the trot. So I think one of the key benefits for us of this time is, is that we have now all this intelligence that we need to be looking at to as we uh, look at how we come back. And then the other thing we did was invest in upskilling our staff. So every single one of our staff needed us on some kind of training program. We kind of trawled the net. We found all the free ones where we couldn't find free ones. We kind of bought ones for people to do. So we've got people doing really, really advanced levels of training. Um, and then the other thing we did was, while everybody said, well, we can't procure anything, we made the decision, well, one of the things we couldn't let go was our digital support. So we are, as we speak, upgrading our website to take on to place newer technologies. Uh, apps have been upgraded as well so that you can do virtual tours online. Um, and all our social media channels, we actually introduced new, new social media channels as well. And then just getting the team to understand that we were in a crisis management mode. 
um, and that we need to reallocate our resources uh, to what we needed to do. So for example, areas of work that actually didn't really require the resources kind of dumped some of their budget into the marketing budget, which then went for a better upgrade of the website than what we were intending to do. Um, putting in place a new communication strategy and a communication strategy that we actually look through a particular Zoom to understand what our communities were going through. So our very first messaging was just sending out words of, uh, you know, support to people, telling people that we were here, that we were ready to support them. Um, and then moving on to the next stage of, of, of our digital technology, which was to inspire people, you know. Uh, so you can't be with us now, but how about you roam from home? You know, giving people, um, our tour guides did something which was brilliant, which completely came from them. They suddenly realized that when they went into lockdown, there were so many similarities to what people actually endured when they were in prison. So each one of them actually did a, a live Instagram live from their homes, comparing what they were feeling as individuals under lockdown and comparing it to what a prisoner would have had to go through. And ultimately the message was, you know, as bad as we think this is, people had it a lot harder, but they kept the brand and the Conyol story going through that. And then the second area that we went into was to entertain people. People are sitting at home um, and they're looking for entertainment. And I think to some extent we're at the stage now where a lot of people are beyond that. But in the early days, you know, just sharing stories of our ex-prisoners, uh, getting videos uh, of people like Seth Maziboko and getting him out there and letting him tell his story. We also did a project called My COVID Storage, which was very linked into the museum, which was about how do you actually archive what we're going through now? And currently, I, My COVID Story is going into phase two, and we're collecting stories from people, we're collecting images, we're getting cancellation letters, we're getting retrenchment letters, anything that can speak to the experience that people have had under this time, and that will go towards making another uh, uh, exhibition later on in the year. And then just providing people with stuff that they can escape to. So that pretty much was, you know, where we were at that point. One of the other key things that I think I must mention is that, you know, Constitution Hill obviously is an attraction and we do tours, but we also a conference center, like some of the other conference centers that we have here. And one of the important things here, and I noticed this from the stuff that I got from people, was that people carried on with the sales pitch, even though you were in the situation. And one of the key things we did was to stop all sales pitches and just reach out to our, our audiences, reach out to our, 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 our clients that we normally serve, just to say, hey, we, uh, we understand what you're going through, uh, and trying to find ways to actually support rather than be on that sales trajectory. And I think that actually does a lot um, to just restoring your confidence and keeping your clients on board as you go forward. And it's this multiplicity of audiences that you've got to deal with from your kind of international visitor to your local visitor, to your clients that use your facility as a conferencing center, to your clients that use your facility for events. So for example, one of our big events that we were going to do was the Lurie Awards. Um, and obviously the Lori Awards can't happen as the Lori Awards were going to happen, but now we're working with them and we're integrating the Lori Awards into one of the events that we do. So I think for me, if I was to say what is it that we have done was to try and think as out of the box as possible. No idea was a stupid idea. Um, we tried things, some things worked, some things didn't work, but just being in a space that you're not going to be boxed, that you, you're going to think out of the box. And I think that's what 
we're going to have to do as we move into this new normal. And I'll stop there for now. No, thank you very much. Um, um, <laughs> uh, there have been uh, quite a number of things happening at, at the museum indeed. You were the first initiators of lockdown um, uh, with, with, with this series <laughs> uh, being, 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 being shot there. So uh, we've been kept... You never uh, realized that, Baba. Thank you. We need to play on that. Absolutely. We have been uh, um, getting access to uh, Constitution Hill through the original lockdown. So uh, thank you for that vision. Um, um, when I give um, participants uh, a little snippet of what Dawn has been talking about. Um, No, thank you. Um, we we um, are living in a virtual world. Um, so apart from the lockdown series, uh, imagery like this really gives us um, that belief and drive that we will be able to go back and immerse ourselves um, uh, with our past, but also use those experiences to connect us to our future. Um, so the Constitution Hill really provides us with that facility. Maybe to bring you on, Nicholas, um, into the conversation um, as you sip your holy water. Um, the the uh, actual impact of COVID-19 on uh, facilities like uh, uh, Lily's Leaf, uh, uh, are you able to share us the actual direct impact this has been having on such a world-class facility. Baba, thank you, and thank you, everyone. Look, we've already, we all know the impact in terms of how international tourism has ground to a halt, how local tourism has ground to a halt, that 
these sites are not visible in terms of being able to be visited at the moment. But Lily's Leaf had to take a step back because I think we all acknowledge that social distancing is here to stay. For how long, we don't know. And one of the things which we had to look at was the question of the fact that our spaces do not allow for effective social distancing. We've acknowledged one of the important things that have gone are the days where we can have between 25 to 50 to 100 people in a tour group. Because as soon as they go into a particular space, they're crammed in and they're like maybe an inch or two apart from each other. So we had to first examine that and acknowledge that we no longer can cater for that type of group, that we have to scale down, that Lily's Leaf will have to have smaller number of groups between five to 10. That's the maximum number. Of the maximum number of people who will be able to go on a tour. And that influenced how we had to start re-examining how do we position Lily's Leaf in a post-COVID-19 world. And the thing that we started to recognize is that we needed to move to developing um, Lily's Leaf online. We've already started that with our archive. The archive, we have a, we have a platform already. We are beginning, we are at an advanced stage of uploading all of our interview footage, which is around 1,400 hours of interview footage onto a digital platform. We are beginning to upload the historical documents onto um, the digital platform. So people will be able to access the archive digitally. But the important thing is tours. We had to look at that. So for example, schools, we no longer can accept large groups of schools, which means looking at ways of saying, okay, how can a school visit Lily's Leaf without coming to Lily's Leaf? And it's that whole question of moving Lily's Leaf online. Likewise, we also started to examine the fact that tourism patterns are gonna change. That we identified three groups of tourists. One is the tourist who will continue to travel regardless of covert 19. They're not going to allow it to affect their pattern of behavior and how they're going to pursue their tourism activities. The second group we identified are those individuals who will take heed of covert 19 and alter their, their patterns of behavior. And the third group we identified and we referred to them as the armchair tourist. That group who will no longer travel. If they do travel, they will travel within their locality. So we classified that group as the armchair group of tourists. How do we get to them? How do they experience Lily's Leaf wherever they are around the world? And again, we came back to it. The important thing now is our focus is moving on to developing um, the virtual tours of Lily's Leaf, to develop that as the key component. Yes, we're not losing and taking our eye off the physical because even under COVID-19 lockdown, we have been pushing ahead. We have about eight projects currently on the go. We have new projects which are beginning to be developed and they are going to um, 
the physical exhibits at Lily's Leaf. But in saying that, our emphasis is going to start to move more towards the online virtual. Partly, as I highlighted, we have no option because our space at Lily's Leaf does not allow us to accommodate any more huge numbers of people. That may change in years to come. Social distancing in years to come may become a thing of the past. But at the moment, we have to acknowledge that it's here to stay. It's going to become a key protocol. And because of that, unlike other sites, for example, Constitutional Hill, which has a much bigger spatial area, and Robin Island, we don't. We have these historical buildings and these rooms are relatively small. I mean, take Nelson's room. Nelson's room is in fact roughly the same size as his prison cell. Now, we can't over anymore put 10 or 11 people in there. So we are being influenced by external factors which other places to some degree are not being influenced by. And so coming back to Baba, your original question, the focus for Lily Sneef now more is emphasizing the need to move online, developing exhibits online. We've already done that. We've already developed a Lily's Leaf exhibit online with the National Institute for the Humanities, and we've entered into a five-year agreement with them, or in the process, I should say, where this exhibit will, over the next five years, be upgraded to develop it to the point where individuals will have this sense of walking into Lily's Leaf. They will walk up to the ticket office. They will engage with the tour, the tour guides. They will ask, we will give them a, an option. They will either be asked if they want a guided tour or they want to do a self-tour. They will then be taken down to the auditorium. The film will be shown, and then they will go on the tour as if they are at Lily's Leaf itself. This is how we are going to adapt to and develop the um, and deal with addressing the COVID-19 scenario. We're also at the moment, to finish off, in discussions with the Swedish government and the Swedish Institute to develop an online virtual exhibit of the role of Sweden in the liberation struggle. So taking the permanent exhibit and placing it online. So these are the sorts of issues that we are beginning to develop and to address in terms of how we combat and deal with the new so-called world order. Thank you, Baba. I'm quite exciting um, and looking forward. I'm told you already have some sort of um, um, a showing shortly uh, that, that you can take us through. Can you take us through some yes. of elements of this uh, virtual tour you are talking about. Okay. So this is the, call it the landing page, and then you have um, that, sorry, if you could go back, sorry, um, if you could go back a second to the original, the previous page, it's up here. So the picture you see where it says click here to enter is actually the mobile exhibit that we developed for the um, National Institute. So if you click there now, you're taken through there, and then you're taken to this page. You have some text, and then you have this icon here, which is flashing. And if you press on that icon now, it takes you to Lily's Leaf. And if you move the, your cursor around, 
you will see the um, image of icons popping up. So if you press on the thatch cottage, if you go back to the thatch cottage and press, it takes you to the thatch cottage. Um, and there we call them um, slates. So there are various slates. You've got Operation Maibur, the raid, the family experience, Radio Freedom. So if you just go to the middle one, which is audio visual and press on that, Oh, well. We should be hearing Bob Heppel talk about the raid. Um, maybe the... A policeman with the dog, uh, who took great fun in setting the dog on us, provoking the dog to... Okay. So if you just exit there. So what we have is we have nine tablets. And in each of those nine tablets, you are able to dig down into the experience of Lily's Leaf. So this is, call it, phase one. So ultimately, over the next five years, it will become more interactive and more of a virtual tour where the person will actually take themselves through and will then physically interact with the exhibits that are at Lily's Leaf. So if you go into the main house um, and you will see the cabinet of curiosity, you won't, don't worry, um, you will see the cabinet of curiosity there. You will be able to press the buttons as if you are actually in the room pressing the button. So this is the starting point. So this is basically the pilot the ground zero of what we're working on. And as I said, it is going to evolve and develop. In fact, we've actually made a number of substantial changes to this now in recent discussions, but this gives you an idea of where, Baba, we want to go, what we're trying to achieve. So effectively, in the long term, Lily's Leaf is online, and you will literally pay for your ticket online and then do the tour as if you're actually at Lily's Leap. The only thing we won't be able to offer is cups of coffee, scones, and sandwiches. Unfortunately, they'll have to make it themselves. But that no, gives you, you an idea of where we're going. Uh, thank you. Um, one of the questions coming through our social channels now is that what's going to happen to those amazing storytellers and guides at the facilities? Um, are you replacing them now with... Um, uh, virtual people? No. As I made, as I highlighted at the outset, it's a combination of two. Because as I said, we got, we identified three types of tourists. There are those who still will want the physical interaction. There will those who will still visit the site. But we have to cater for the, what I, let's categorize it, the two groups. Those who want physical interaction and those who I, we refer to who are become armchair tourists who will not be willing to travel or because of the changes in the dynamics of the fact that world airlines are going to become smaller, the cost of world travel in terms of flights, the cheap, we believe those cheap package tours to some degree will no longer exist. So we've got to cater for that element of the market who pre-COVID-19 were able to travel 
but cost implications as well as fear implications will mean they will spend more of their time at home. And that's why we've referred to them as the armchair tourist. No, thank you. Talking about fear, gift, um, there are general psychological um, 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 effects of people having been in lockdown and um, literally all of us having um, either a family member or knowing somebody who have passed on. So um, with, with the sector set to open, how are you guys at um, Happy Islands uh, planning to uh, mitigate this and communicate messages of reassurance um, um, while we start opening? Thank you very much for the platform. Thanks, Baba. Um, very good point. One, one, one thing about Happy Island, as our name says, it serves as one of the remedies for people. We would like to, let me put it that way, to serve as one of the remedies for people as they come out of the lockdown as a place. If you, if you look at the world, the States, uh, UK, they've opened parks, they've started opening parks because during this period of lockdown, there has been an increase in psychological issues with people. Not a lot of us can uh, withstand being confined in one area. We, we, we've been used to be up and about and doing things. So going into parks, whether it's a game park, whether it's a water park like Happy Island is, it will, in one way or the other, provide provide our guests, our customers, our visitors with one of those opportunities to, to find themselves, to, to, to go out, be happy, relax psychologically and, and, and any other way possible. So looking at the trends again internationally, we, we have to open. When we open, unfortunately, unlike Nick and Lily's Leaf and those places, for, for Happy Island, it's not feasible at all to, to try and open with less than 1,000 people. It, it, it's impossible. It, it can be done, but then we will be literally as good as paying everyone to come in. We, we will be comfortable with anything from 1,000 going up. Normally, the park, we, we've been blessed on some days where we've reached averages of 5,000 people in a day. But unfortunately... We'll sit and wait for the, for the recommendations from government. We are already looking at cutting at least 60 to 70% of those numbers and try and reduce our operational cost to make sure that we'll be able to operate between 1,000 and a half and 2,000 people on a given day. The nice thing, again, with attracting um, uh, people during this time to Happy Island is it will give us a platform to utilize our facility as an educational center. We normally spend time playing videos on our big screens. We've got two big screens. We also have uh, a sound system which plays music. We are busy coming up with a plan in which we will partner uh, one way or the other with national and provincial health departments to use our, our platform and our facility as an educational center in which people can constantly be reminded of the, 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 the rules and the regulations of COVID, uh, safe distancing and, and all that kind of stuff. So having our facilities as a water park 
it already automatically gives that uh, peace of mind where we, we are also talking to our suppliers in terms of our chemicals we'll be using in our pools to make sure that they assist in one way or the other to make sure that every time a person dips into our pool, they are automatically disinfecting themselves. I will stop there for now and answer questions. No, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, quite exciting um, opportunities there. So we'll be having disinfecting pools, um, um, sanitizing uh, our people. Like I've said, um, well, in any crisis, there are opportunities. Um, uh, maybe uh, let's proceed uh, with, with, with our engagement. Um, we'll, um, uh, we have a question for Fezile. Um, from Loris, uh, Jobek in your pocket. Yeah, uh, and myself, uh, Baba. Uh, yes, yeah, so we, we have noted you. We'll come to you. Uh, we will, uh, um, we're still taking the questions on the socials now. We'll come to you, Des. Um, uh, Fezile, Loris wants to know, uh, uh, is, is this the first engagement how the tourism has been having with the stakeholders? Are there more coming? Um, and he, she also wants to know what will Houghton Tourism do differently um, to drive growth in the sector when the sector opens? Uh, <clears throat> thanks, Baba. Uh, I think let me just say in your opening, you have indicated that this is the beginning of the engagement, uh, maybe in response to Loris, that this is the first session that you have. Uh, started to engage with the industry. We are going to have the next three sessions in the next coming week where we are going to focus on different aspects that relates to the value chain of tourism. Uh, I think Loris must just be prepared to engage in the next two weeks because we are not stopping today. We will not stop tomorrow. I think to do things differently, Papa, if you have listened to you know, the panel members, they've indicated quite clearly that we have to change the way we deal with things. Now, uh, we can't be an island as Houghton Tourism Authority when everyone adapts to the environment. Therefore, I think we're also doing the same and I think we'll be sharing with the industry. It was part of the things that we're doing currently now. And I think, as we said earlier on, the, this challenge of COVID has actually given us an opportunity to revise you know, our marketing that we are going to use differently in terms of, you know, marketing the destination. Secondly, I think it's around the our event strategy because I think many are aware that we're also supporting the events uh, industry. We're looking into revising that strategy to adapt, check whether is it possible going forward to support the visual events because of the challenges of COVID. And I think, uh, you know, some of these things, uh, you know, that we're going to do, it's part of, you know, reigniting the demand, but also making sure that we rejuvenate supply when the industry is going to recover. And I think quite important is what, you know, the panel members have said. It's, 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 it's do it in, in protecting our people. Do it in a manner in which our people are going to be safe and you know, and providing 
uh, assurances out in tourism. And I think that's what we're going to do in the next coming two to three weeks. Thanks. Uh, thank you, first. Um, once again, uh, colleagues, I will um, encourage everyone to use the chat uh, uh, facility provided there so that we can take as many questions as um, um, uh, uh, possible. As some we will um, be able to respond immediately as the session proceeds. Uh, but I need to assure everyone that we are also packaging, recording this session, we'll be releasing a dedicated newsletter to each and every session we'll be hosting, summarizing the key insights um, and some of the program of action issues that we need to um, uh, attain. As we always say, um, uh, tourism, um, it's government-led, private sector-driven, community-based, uh, labor-intensive. So the solutions is always found in a collective effort uh, to, 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 to drive uh, growth. So um, uh, Des, you can uh, go ahead with your question or input. Baba, thank you very much. I think for the um, interesting session and I think to the other participants as well, I've got one comment and about two questions. You know, um, as we prepare for the opening of uh, the sector, quite clearly, I think there is no doubt that we'll be opening into a sector that will be completely different. And I think some of the anecdotal evidence by the um, participants or the panelists, you know, have been able to allude to that. Um, we have seen in, in China, for an example, particularly in Beijing, as the lockdown has been reduced in terms of level, the numbers have taken a swing. We have seen also uh, in Botswana, which is not far from us, they've decided to move to level five because um, as they were opening certain sectors of the economy, uh, the numbers of infection then begin to increase. Now, and tourism is a very contact-driven uh, uh, sector. And I think the messaging that I'm getting from the colleagues is let's ready to open the sector, uh, but I'm not getting a good sense of different scenarios that may be there that should this eventuality happen, then what becomes our response? Uh, if this eventuality happened, what becomes our response? And I think it's gonna be important that we think at all those particular scenarios in a sense that um, the only way to be able to sustain is our ability to adapt and be agile into all those different scenarios as they may arise. And I think that is one thing if for me, we can be able to emerge out of um, this engagement today with different kind of um, uh, thinking uh, uh, channels in terms of different eventualities and how do we become robust and adapt to that. And I think it's important that we emerge with that particular kind of thinking. My and question then, is therefore to the colleagues that- Yes. Yes. As I zoom you to the next question. Yeah. The next question is now, 
have have the colleagues who are running these particular uh, institutions been able to come with a financial sustainability model? Because some of the institutions have got running costs and you've got limitation of numbers. And if the numbers are curbed into a particular, say, let's say 50 for an example, and for you to be able to run this particular institution or a tourism attraction, say you need an X numbers, which are more. Do we think that we'll be able to run this institution in a sustainable way with less numbers? Or we'll have to be able to look at other funding models and mechanisms because you can't run institutions into a loss. Then it's as good as, in fact, not running that institution. Thanks, Baba. Okay, Mark, um, I've just given you five rand airtime to respond um, to that question. So you have uh, no absolute pleasure. Um, I totally agree with the question. That the, the, the speaker was spot on with the points he made. Um, I think the most important thing, no matter what hospitality sector we're in, um, all of us would readily agree that customer and team safety is paramount to us, and none of us would do anything that would jeopardise either a customer or a team member. And I think as a business, speaking for myself, I think. We will open when we get told we can open. Um, we will follow all the relevant international guidelines as being dictated or suggested to protect as many team members or customers as possible. But I think the big thing is we need to ensure we're guided by medical advice, just like the government presently is. Um, we're only as good as that advice comes to us. And fingers crossed there, there is no surge, but um, you know, there's only so much you can do. The second question as far as sustainability, I, I imagine that's a question all of us are going to have to ask in our relevant businesses. Um, it's not an easy one, um, but it costs a lot of money to also keep a business closed. Um, that, that's not free. And so at some point we need to balance as to what is the more profitable or the lesser loss that we will incur. Um, for us as a resort, it might be we might open certain sectors like the hotel and the casino first and open other sectors as we feel safe or as we feel financially beneficial to us and we really need to be led by what the customer perception is because just as one of my learned colleagues gift was saying it's all very well the government saying to us that tomorrow in my aquadome or in gifts walter park we can have ten thousand people there tomorrow if the customer perception is that is wrong, or that the, the public outcry is that is going to be wrong, naturally, Gift and I need to take a separate stance to it and say, when is it morally safe to open for the customer base? Uh, and, and that's going to be a fine line, but it's certainly going to be based around sustainability. But as I say, what's the less of the two losses? Being shut is certainly costing us a lot of money. Um, being open, hopefully, will cost me slightly less. So I hope that That's, answers your questions. Yes, uh, Don, um, um, Joe Mutsuki from Gatoa, um, uh, following up on these um, eventual tours, wants to know if there are any specific training um, that are going to be provided to guides. Um, and um, are we considering pre-bookings to enable them to prepare themselves um, targeting also the international opening window of August um, for forward bookings. So are there any specific um, uh, 
a targeted guides training uh, that you want to share with us? Uh, you can unmute yourself, Don. Sorry, I thought you were controlling because it said that you had unmuted me. Okay, so all our guides are on training uh, currently uh, and going to go on training further. So they are all looking at um, social media training. Some of them have done language training. Um, they're also on the process of a new product development because I think that's very, very important. If you look at what the new normal is going to be like, it's going to be hyper-local. Um, people are going to start traveling locally. Uh, our segmentation and our looking at our audiences shows that it's, it's going to be the visiting friends and family that are going to come through first. So we're really looking at which tours are most appropriate and, and looking at how we can um, reconceptualize those tours. The, the guides are doing it themselves as well. Um, from the point of view of ticketing, we've always done online ticketing. So we always do our ticketing online and we obviously had much bigger numbers that we would limit the different tours to. So our tours are on the hour, every hour for a highlight tour. And then we do two long tours in the course of the day. Um, so we'll have to look at how we, we limit the numbers on those. The big issue is going to be schools, like somebody mentioned. Uh, but fortunately for us, we were planning to start an outreach program where we're actually going to be taking cardio into the schools. So the guides are also working on developing that program. And the idea would be that um, guides could go into a particular community um, and we could actually cover, you know, two, three, four, five schools on a day uh, by taking different things into different schools. So we're looking at all those different approaches. Uh, from the point of view of the financial sustainability question that was raised earlier, for us at Constitution Hill, we get 40% of our budget from government. So obviously as a not-for-profit and a museum, we do get that grant from government. But we raised 60%, uh, uh, we were working towards a target of raising 60% of our revenue for ourselves. And obviously that's a huge impact now on us. So again, it's about the kinds of things that you do to think out of the box. So uh, Constitution Hill, for example, is a creative hub. We're currently building a studio, a recording studio at Constitution Hill. It's going to be a state-of-the-art studio. And this is particularly to service our creative audience that we have there. Also the construction of our new visitor center with our new museum and our new exhibition, which is completely digitized and online, will also help towards that. But I think really speaking, it's about, like I said earlier, thinking out of the box, um, looking at what you have. So for example, uh, our film festival that we normally have, we're looking at turning our people's park into a drive-in and doing the festival, the film festival as a drive-in festival. Um, but obviously, it's, it's still a challenge. We are just going to, if we, we've done scenario planning. If we have absolutely no visitors until the December uh, and we just get our income from our tenants that we have on the site, we will just, just break even. Uh, so in terms of making any kind of profit, we're only looking at 2021 to make minimal profits, but hopefully... Uh, but all the additional things that we bring in online, we hopefully can make up those revenue losses. No, thank you. Uh, Nick, um, um, Luis with, um, uh, with, with wants to know 
if you have picked up any a new interest interest from uh, some of the audiences during lockdown who are looking at the new ways or have you guys seen any new interest from non-traditional way of um, uh, channels communicating um, um, indications are that older people will uh, travel less uh, uh, with obvious fears of uh, a possible infection so um, how are you adapting uh, your own services to accommodate um, um, this possible surging segment of young travelers um, who also underpins the demographics of Africa and South Africa gradually becoming um, a very youthful uh, population? Baba, thank you. And thanks for the question. I think, let me go back. Again, one of the issues which unlike a lot of the other sites, is, and again, I mentioned earlier, is the space issue. Now, we really are confined by that. Because if you go to Lily's Eve and you go into the spaces, those spaces are taken up by the exhibits. So the rooms are shrunk because of the interactive nature of the exhibits. So that is something that we have to recognize. And as Gift and Mark have talked about, you know, it's no point putting 10,000 people into the park if they feel uncomfortable because they're afraid and the perception of fear is that they're going to catch covert 19. We have to deal with the same. More so because if people are feeling that they are being claustrophobic and are being crammed in, that has an impact on attracting visitors because of the perception. So I come back to it. So in the we are being dictated by certain external forces. We are continuing to develop the exhibit internally, but our emphasis is going to be more on developing, as I've highlighted before, the virtual tour. Because that is, the, in the long term, if things don't change, if we assume that the scenario that we find ourselves in today is going to become the new norm, that is something that we have to take into consideration. I mean, let's put it into context. Our historical site in its in totality is 9,000 square meters. Part of that is the car park. Part of that is the liberation center. Part of that is the um, resource center. So you then have within that the historical site. And the open spaces themselves are limited. So what I'm saying is that our thinking and our process is being guided by what we can do to accommodate the numbers. And those numbers have to be reduced on site. And they will be also imposed upon us by government in terms of distancing. And that is really what is shaping our thought process. Our thought process is being shaped by that and that alone. So then how do we as Lily's Leaf adapt to certain things which I like to refer to as outside our sphere of influence, our sphere of being able to manage the situation? And I come back to it online. Coming to the second, a lot of 
um, historical sites or sites of memory are not sustainable on their own. Constitutional Hill has a very opportunity, you know, it's fortunate because it has other resources of income, like it rents space. We have no space to rent. Um, we rely primarily on visitors to the site, the small conferencing that we, um, we have, and the legacy programs that we run. So we have a very limited stream of income. We don't get government funding. So it is imperative that we find an alternative source. And that alternative source in the medium to long term is going to be to develop and build up an endowment, which will become our sustainability. And also the online activity, because people will then pay. They will not only pay to do online tours, they will pay actually to access the archival material if they want to use it. If they just want to view it, that's one thing they can view. It. But if they want to download it and they want to print it out and they want to use it for a purpose, we will start charging for that specific use of those materials. Without a doubt, Nick, uh, such a wealth of knowledge, um, uh, such a telling history, um, we can pay a dowry uh, for it. So we, we certainly... Um, again, as DMOs need to up our ante to make sure that uh, demand generating uh, activities also moves to, to online. Uh, just to bring you in gift um, as we move towards the end of our uh, session, I will still want to urge our participant to use uh, our chat board. We will definitely be summarizing those questions. If we have not been able to, res to get the panelists to respond uh, now, definitely will be putting up uh, some of the responses. We'll also welcome suggestions. This is a platform to collectively search and craft a way forward. A gift with domestic tourism set to anchor recovery. Um, are there any specific plans from your side with regard to activities that are going to make, especially locals, tourists in their own backyard? to send a message of reassurance to those watching uh, across the borders that South Africans, people of Gauteng, are experiencing their own products and they are ready to welcome these facilities are safe and secure. If they are doing it, we want to join them. So are there any specific programs or activities we could look forward to for us as people of Gauteng, South Africa, to join you in creating that much-needed assurance. Thank you very much, Baba. Um, we are very fortunate that um, I would say 80% of our market at all times is local. So there could be 5,000 people at Happy Island, guaranteed 80 to 90% is always local for simple reasons. For our international tourists, where they come from, there is bigger and better parks. So no one very few people would travel from Europe to South Africa for a water park. But for us as South Africans in Africa, it's a first of its kind in its magnitude. There are other water parks, uh, different forecasts and different scales. But for us, our target has always been the local market. It's amazing 
when we first started, we thought this, our target was Gauteng, but we, we are surprised that majority, we're getting free states, we're getting, West, um, uh, we're getting uh, uh, Limpopo, we're getting people from Bumalanga coming down to Gauteng just for the water park. So there are ways we are trying to make sure that we market further we, we, as we are speaking right now, we are running a special already where we are asking people to support uh, the upkeep of the park and the staff. I mean, for us, we, we have been severely hit. This was only phase one of a three-phase development. So we find ourselves forced to go back and keep reinvesting on phase one. We were planning to upscale to a phase two and a phase three in the following year, but because of COVID, we will have to maintain and uh, keep on investing to make sure the park is safe for those who will be coming in. But the whole idea was to make sure that in future, we cater for the market which comes from outside Gauteng. We have had visitors as, as, as far as Botswana coming in specifically for a day to, to spend a day at the water park. We've hosted Swaziland, Lesotho coming in. So our target and our target remains constantly as the local market. As you know, with the water park, it's seasonal. We were anyway, with or without COVID, planning to close end of April. We, we ended up closing a month earlier than we were expecting, but we were looking at conferencing. We were looking at team building for corporates, which is another another activity which we've brought into the water park because of the infrastructure that we have, which would normally sit for three to four months unutilized. No, thank you. Um, uh, Fezile, uh, Luis Pasha uh, wants to know uh, how can a local guide like myself find ways to formalize my business and what can the GTA do to uh, help me? Yes, thanks, Bob. Uh, thanks for that question. I think uh, that's part of the role that you are playing, uh, you know, as you also indicate, I'll always refer to your opening remarks when you made mention of our role in the private sector. I think what we'll have to do maybe to, would be to get uh, the details so how she can engage on, on that process. Because I don't think responding to say, go to this person will help. Maybe I think if our team can get the details so that on the side, we're able to contact the person to refer to uh, you know, the relevant people to assist her on that. No, definitely we will do so. Um, don't... Um... Uh, we have seen um, uh, Andrea Bocelli uh, at the height of COVID-19 singing in front of the cathedral in Milan. Um, uh, our own Shimza was at the Union buildings in front of the Mandela statue um, on June 16. Um, I know Cornhill always have uh, something at the back pocket. Uh, what? What, what are you guys uh, planning? Uh, are we expecting to see something now uh, in the midst of uh, us not still gathering? Sorry, Baba, you know us too well, don't you? Um, as we speak, 
There's something happening at Constitution Hill, which we are going to drop on you in the next week. Um, I don't want to say more, other than to say, think Andrea Botticelli performing, uh, except that we're doing a lot more people performing. Um, and particularly the fact it's Youth Month, and you know, in Youth Month, we would normally do our Basho Uhuru Festival. Uh, we're also going to be launching the new Basho Uhuru Festival uh, model for 2020 in the course of June as well. So in the next two weeks, big things will be coming to you from Conyol, but I don't want to spoil the surprise by saying any more than that. But if you happen to pass Conyol today on the next few days, you'll get a glimpse of what is happening. No, no, thank you. Um, we'll, uh, we are almost um, towards the tail end of our session. Uh, once again, uh, thank you to all our participants. Um, uh, please uh, use the hashtag GP engages, the hashtag visit Gauteng. Um, this is a, a series of our engagement. Um, uh, the Zoom platform, uh, to a certain extent, uh, disadvantage uh, multiplicity of voices. We still have digital divide characterizing our operation. Uh, but Mark, uh, your final message to the participants that are spread across uh, the world and um, um, and um, your message to them and how they can become advocates and ambassadors of your majestic facility down south uh, of the province. No, thank you very much. Um, as, as you're well aware, we're very blessed in the, the Hauteng province. We have some truly astonishing um, tourism, historical museum, facilities for everybody. Uh, at Emerald, we pride ourselves on getting things right. And um, unfortunately, as all of my co-presenters will know, that's not always the case. We, some, we sometimes get it wrong as well. But, you know, if anyone's in the area, we've got 900 acres of resort. If you need to do social distancing, there's 500 acres of safari park. Um, the only one that'll be cramping your style will be one of our giraffes. Um, but most importantly, stay safe, stay strong. Hospitality will come back. It might not be straight away, but um, we know we have the best facilities in the Hauteng province, collectively, all of us. And uh, we look forward to welcoming everyone back to celebrate that in the near future. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh, Nicholas? Um, thank you, Baba. Um, Firstly, I'd like to echo Mark's sentiments about Hauteng and the wonderful products that we have here on offer. I just would like to finish off by saying I think ultimately none of us really have any idea of what the new norm is going to look like because we're living through something that we have never, ever experienced in our entire lives. It is constantly shifting. You constantly hear this should be done, and then it gets changed. At one point, we were told not to wear masks. Now we're told to wear masks. So we are confronted more so than any other industry with dealing with the unknown. And the only way we will be able to deal with the unknown is, on the one hand, deal with it. It sounds a kind of bit of a tautology, but also wing it because we are not getting any advice other than the scientific advice about social distancing. Everything else that we have to 
learn from our own experience. We have to use gut instinct. We have to define what this new world order is going to be look will be looking like, how it will unfold, how it will develop. Yes, tourism will return. But the big question is, and I'm sure my other panelists will agree, will it return to the levels that we experienced pre-COVID-19? What are those new levels going to be? And what are these, as Marcus highlighted about the moral aspect, what are those visitors going to demand of these attraction places? What are they going to expect from us? And again, that is an unknown. So we are entering into a new adventure, but an adventure that I believe we can frame and we can define and we can build upon. Thank you, Baba. Uh, thank you, uh, Nicholas. Uh, gift, um, are you able to summarize your parting shot? Thank you very much. Um, Baba, for us, this is one of our busiest times as the administration because we have no choice. Uh, as Nick has said, the, 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 the new norm is unknown. No one right now can say this is what is going to happen. But all what we can say is we will at one stage open. And when we open, there will be a number of measures that we'll be putting in place. And we are busy working right now back and forth to make sure priority at the end of the day is the safety of our people. When the people are safe, they're going to come back. When the people are safe, we will show uh, we will be leading example in the continent and everyone else that if it can be done in Johannesburg, how dang safe, it can be done anywhere else in the world. So basically we are ready, we are geared, but what we're geared for, we're not sure, we're waiting for the government to give us direction. We are busy right now trying to formulate our direction, our own um, instruction. As we speak right now, one of my directors is actually in China trying to see exactly what the world at large Asia is doing so that we stay ahead of the curve as well and make sure that when that time comes to us in South Africa, we are at par with the world. Thank you, Don. Thanks, Baba. Um, you know, for me, I think we will recover. Tourism is resilient. Tourism around the world has dealt with many things. If you think about Australia that went through the fires, just came out of the fires and got hit by COVID and are already kind of ahead of us on this. So I've got no doubt that as a sector, we will recover. But one of the things that I would like to emphasize, and I think it's very important, is about how we as attractions and as tourism practitioners work with our communities um, and actually work more collaboratively. So talking just about attractions, you know, and we've got attractions here. So for example, Nick, how do we collaborate better um, as attractions? But how do we also work with our local community? Um, how do we work with the small experiences that uh, support uh, travel in, in Gauteng? How do we work with our various tour guides? How do we work with local shops, uh, people that are doing things? So I think really speaking, you know, we're going to start, we're going to start with domestic tourism. It's going to be visiting friends and relatives. Like I've said, it's going to be the millennials who feel safest to go out. But how do we make sure that we, how can I say, spread the love? You know, how do we use our positions as major attractions in the province to actually support other small enterprises out there trying to exist within the space? And I think that for me is the bigger challenge. And I have no doubt we will survive, we'll come out the other end. But how do we keep as many other small SMMEs alive and afloat and take them along with us so that when we do recover and international tourism does open up again and 
and regional tourism opens up, that we've got this wealth of innovative new product uh, and product that we'll be able to take to market. So for me, that, that's the critical question now, is just rescuing and, and, and keeping everybody afloat. Uh, definitely. And um, we, we see you, uh, Luis Pasha, with the marketing of Mtluso A2. So a shout out uh, to you from, uh, from the session. Firstly, the overall um, uh, views and sentiments uh, here is that um, um, once again, the spread of COVID-19 has given us an opportunity to reset, but to also collaborate. And uh, the mantle is now being thrown back to the coordinator-in-chief, Kautian Tourism Authority. Your parting, your parting shot. Yeah. No, thank you very much, Papa, and thanks very much to the panel. We really appreciate your time and those who have uh, engaged in this session. It's really appreciated. What we can say from the tourism authorities is that we are in this together. Uh, it's not about you. It's about all of us. And I think Don is spot on that uh, tourism is resilient. It has passed, you know, September 11 all these things. And a human being, it's quite resilient, Baba. You know, for the past thousand years, a human being has been able to survive all kinds of storms. They say that the world is a book and those who do not travel read only a page. You know, that's the words that I can part with to say, when we recover, we must reassure our visitors. When we recover, we must make sure that we protect our own people to feel safe in our attractions. And when we do that, we'll see that tourism will recover. Thank you very much, Babs. Thank you very much, colleagues. Once again, colleagues from the side of um, the organizing team, special thanks to Mark, to Gift, to Nicholas, uh, to Don, uh, to Fezile, the acting CEO, but also let's uh, give thanks to the technical team uh, that has put this together. Um, we have been so socialized into these Zooms and Teams platform, but forgetting that also we had to be rushed into this. So our infrastructure and capacity while we are advocating for these visual tours uh, and all manner of digital uh, platform, the digital divide still continue to characterize uh, our operations with the possible fast tracking of the opening of the spectrum. We hope the tourism sector will also take advantage of um, uh, the new opportunities, um, the 5G uh, opportunities to really ramp up and um, uh, make sure that we participate in this shared economy, not just as observers, uh, but as solid uh, competitive participants who will be able to put uh, South Africa and our various provinces uh, uh, on the map. From the side of Houghton Tourism, we really appreciate your participation. We will be continuing with the series on the 22nd. We will be talking um, uh, with uh, uh, or engaging with our associations. Um, so we'll have the various associations on board. Please join us. The conversation, let them continue on our social channels using the hashtag visit Houghton, hashtag GPN. Uh, 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 engage. Um, for that matter, we really want to thank everybody that has participated and let's remain tourism strong. We all do tourism. Thank you very much.
Thank you so much, Baba. Thank you to GTA for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Bye.